Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. This is News Talk. Talk Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, CyberSafe Kids will talk to us about their online boot camp to keep your kids safe in the online space. John Riley will have news from Nintendo about their new handheld console. Plus, Colin Baker joins me to discuss the right to repair. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. And we're going to start with Colin Baker this week because I was reading quite a lot about the right to repair. For those of you who haven't heard, this is a movement that is gaining traction in the US and in Europe. Uh, The UK has introduced right to repair rules that legally requires the manufacturers of devices, vehicles, whatever it is, to make spare parts available when buying electrical appliances. This would mean that a lot of the heartache is uh, taken out of getting your laptop fixed, your phone fixed, whatever it is. But is it a good idea? Uh, As I mentioned, Colin Baker, who runs Back From The Future here in Dublin, joins me now. Colin, before we talk through the nitty gritty, what's your overarching thoughts about the right to repair? You are opening the technological floodgates in my mind, Jess. <laughs> uh, look, I, I've been talking about this for quite a number of years and it is only starting to hit the media on this side of the pond. It's actually been something that's prolific both in the industry and in consumer organisations over in the States. Um, and, and of, of course, it is the right of the individual to uh, repair, break, Uh, upgrade, service, take apart, sit on, kick their devices, uh, their computers, their cars, their whatever they've rightfully, legally, legitimately bought and do what they want with it. Treat it badly, treat it well, uh, fix it later, learn how it works inside. Uh, And whereas I'm not some fanatic about civil liberties, uh, I, 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 I do believe in health and safety, but I do believe that that's being used as a, an empty stick uh, to protect the commercial interest of companies. Effectively, what's happening here, Jess, is that if I am manufacturing a laptop, uh, it stands to me if I try to make it so as you have to replace that laptop or bring it back to me and give me some more money in the reasonably near future. And and that's really where it stems back to. And what the way they do that is to limit access of anybody outside of their environs to parts, to uh, tools, to, as they say, IP, intellectual property, the the manuals or the technical schematics uh, so that they can service them upgrade them, repair them when they break. And it's funny that there's a sort of a d- divergence between the, uh, the ethics behind this and the strong movement towards renewability, recycling, upcycling, repair, uh, uh, items lasting longer, and us as a, as a society um, uh, and as a race, reducing the amount of uh, excessive waste in, in, in how and what we consume. 
Um, because obviously this leads to a vastly higher pile of technology waste if we are restricted from fixing our stuff. Is it not the case, though, that if I have the right to repair a device and I make an absolute balls of it, that I'm going to end up chucking it and buying a new one anyway? Absolutely. And, and that is, by the way, how we all learned. Uh, I spent most of my teenage years breaking more things than fixing them. Unfortunately, there's, there's not really any college course that I could find that helped me learn how to just fix things. I learned by breaking them in many cases and not being able to fix them. But as you go forward, and for, uh, of course, nowadays, we, YouTube is very much our friend. And it's an incredible resource for finding out how the hell to make a pancake, as I did last night. Uh, or, or indeed, how to upgrade the RAM in your five-year-old laptop. Um, and I, I suppose, is it uh, safe that we do so? Look, it's, it's your right having bought something. If it's not working and you've got something for two years, we'll just take a laptop because it's in my comfort zone and we'll go to tractors later. But say it's a laptop and you decide it's not working, it's slowed right down and you might have to replace it. Well, what is there to, to risk? It's very unlikely that you're going to hurt yourself in a very low voltage, low current environment like a laptop. You're like almost minuscule chances. Um, if you break it further, well, it was already broken. So how much further down the dark alley have you gone? And how much have you learned from that experience? And of course, learning is a very good thing, particularly when it pertains to possibly making your equipment and your assets and the things that you've bought last longer, both economically and in terms of the environment. So when you say the risk of tackling a repair that might be outside your comfort zone, well, I see very little risk and a lot of potential gain. But would it not be better to bring in a rule whereby the cost of official repair services comes down rather than having people, like over the years, I think I've told you the story before about um, I tried to repair an iPod, iPod Touch and I completely killed it just because I wasn't able to do it. it the the You'll know better than, the, than me than this, but like some of the tools that you need to open out some Apple devices are very particular. You have to be incredibly careful, incredibly gentle. The reason I tried to do it myself was because I was a student and I didn't want to pay to get it done properly. So would, would that not be a better solution to allow the professionals to keep being the professionals and just make it more affordable for people you know the, the more we try to force uh, economic effect uh, as you know uh, and we're getting into politics there but actually forcing uh, price fixing and, and and some sort of collaborative uh, politically or governmentally regulated pricing it just doesn't and hasn't worked anecdotally or, or historically um i think what needs to be done is is the approach to driving that to happen is to allow competition now by by competition i mean again back to my comfort zone if you take a, a modern day mac you mentioned how difficult it was for you to prize open your your ipod touch uh, a few years back well, it's gotten exponentially harder now and quite deliberately so. If you buy a new Mac today that doesn't have a removable hard drive, it doesn't have a removable or upgradable RAM, it doesn't have, even the battery is not removable or at least not easily or not, not rationally so. Um, it's designed to be unfixable insofar as, as technically possible. Um, so I suppose actually allowing 
competition to exist. So in other words, for independent repair agents and for you as a consumer or as a business or whatever the, uh, you, your level of use is, that when something breaks, you can go through the field and go around and shop around for the right price. It's the same with cars. You know, back in the day when cars were straightforward and they had engines and cylinders and uh, ignition and carburetors, uh, you would have a mechanic down the road and he would do the job for 200 and then the other one down the other way would do it for 120 and then it turns out your dad is handy with a spanner and he did it for the price of the part and it was 20 euro and by shopping around and by having an open market competitive environment prices normalized prices came down to realistic efficient levels whereby people could make money on it so there was actual business and economics in it but the consumer ended up getting a fair and reasonable price yeah it is an interesting one i just keep going back to the thought of like you know me you know that i love to mess around with technology get my hands dirty figure out how things work break them and try and put them back together again that's a huge um interest and hobby of mine i suppose but just because this right co- if this right does come into place where you have the right to repair, meaning you can get the parts, maybe you could follow a tutorial on YouTube, whatever it is, it doesn't mean it's going to work. And I just fear the amount of devices that will be scrapped. And yes, as you say, you can write it down to a learning experience, but that's not great for, you know, the average person who just wants their laptop or their phone or their whatever the hell it is to work. Can you talk us through, um, because I've encountered this a few times over the years myself, where I've wanted to go out to, say, an Apple repair centre or a Samsung repair centre, and they're very, very secretive about letting cameras in or letting reporters in because it's a very secret space. This is your sort of bread and butter. This is what you guys do. Is it an incredibly complex thing to, say, replace the battery of a flagship smartphone replace the screen of a flagship smartphone aside from the cost of getting the parts is the actual job itself an incredibly arduous one this circles back to your original point and the overall topic here which is the right to repair and what's happening in terms of that right forcibly manufacturers are making that what you just said less uh, more complex Mm. more arduous uh, very difficult to access the tools and the parts. Uh, to very give you a very simple example, of, uh, you know, a twenty, uh, say a six or seven year old laptop, um, and even some newer laptops will have a hard drive inside. If you want a bigger one, you can go and buy one. You can maybe open two screws, slide in the drive, install your operating system, and Bob's your uncle. It's not particularly hard. You're not risking any damage. What's happening now is that those drives on a lot of newer machines are soldered to the board and have a multiplicity of tiny pins that are soldered. So even if you think you're kind of handy with a soldering iron, think again, because this is neurosurgery. So yes, it has become more difficult to do repairs yourself. And I think that's what this topic and this movement is about on both sides. On the commercial side, big manufacturers protecting their equipment and protecting their, uh, making sure that people have to buy more equipment more regularly. And then in the event that they do have to be repaired, they're being taken back into areas in which the pricing are under very much their control and the parts availability the same. And that's 
Hence, as you mentioned, the secrecy involved. That has only increased in all areas over the last number of years. You mentioned, uh, and I think I read recently about uh, one of the tractor companies, wasn't it? Yeah, John Deere. John Deere. Deere. And again, okay, you see, that's a very good example and a much bigger stick for them to shake at health and safety because, you know, we think as, as, as general public about a tractor, big, solid, metal, heavy objects, cogs and springs and rods and high voltages and whatnot and there's potential danger there but there's not a significant difference fundamentally we're talking about very much like a car engine there is a certain overriding knowledge that you will need Uh, you have purchased the item you have used it presumably for a while it is out of warranty you mentioned as well i wanted to take you up on something there you said that there is the risk to you opening the thing and, and, and you're worried about those things then being thrown away as a result of it not going well. Presumably you went to open that iPod Touch because it was faulty. You didn't just open it for fun. Yeah, but I think if I had paid the money, if it had been more affordable for me to get it paid, but I'd get it fixed by a professional, I would have done it. But as a student, I didn't have that kind of money. And so I decided to give it a go. It went wrong. I didn't throw it out, actually. I still have it at home. I'm, I'm an awful one for hoarding my technology. But I suppose that's the point, isn't it? It's the fact that in an ideal world, you would just get the experts. Like There's a reason why... I tell people to go to your store every week on the Pat Kenny show. It's because you guys are the professionals at this. You have gone through so much training. You have done this so many times. There's a higher success rate of you doing it. But yes, there's two, there's two fundamentals to that, or at least the way we do it. And a lot of the independents do it. One, it's not private or secretive. It isn't actually rocket science, although maybe there's elements of rocket science to it, but it's not tremendously complicated. We also don't, there isn't huge college courses. There is long-term trying and being of this mindset where you repair things. And then as a, there are very few people in our game who haven't been repairing things since their childhood and gained an understanding fundamentally of how things go together, how things work, how to brandish a soldering iron and how to do things safely. And in a way that gives it delivers sustainable, reliable repairs that don't come back. So it's just experience in the same way as you experience in your job. You're able to spot potential pitfalls uh, and do your job better and better each day. There is no secrets to it. We don't protect it. It's about solving problems and trying to, to take equipment that can last longer and making sure it does. Now, this isn't about necessarily about the environment uh, at its core. However, you know, nowadays the, uh, the, the technology waste pile is the most enormous individual, if you want to call it collectively an individual pile globally. It's bigger than plastic. It's a bigger problem uh, than, than, than plastics and in some countries chemicals. It is uh, an enormous threat to the environment in the future. And it's also a threat to our pockets because if we, obviously technology has become ubiquitous and a huge part of our education, our social lives, our work, like it or not. And it's a huge cost potentially as well. Making things last longer, building them in a way that they can be serviced and repaired in a competitive environment by you, me, a, 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 a learned friend or a service like ours is to everybody's advantage except possibly the deep pockets of some of the bigger brands. 
So do you think then uh, that down the line we could see more modular devices? Like, will big tech play ball here and will they make it easier? Like, I remember there was a Motorola phone a few years ago where you could very easily swap out the camera and so on. Do you think big tech will do that down the line? It was a few of those concepts, Jess, and where are they now? I think therein lies your answer. They, 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 they tend to get quashed. And I'm, I'm, not, about, I'm not being conspiratorial there. It, it, it doesn't make sense for the big money players to have these modular devices and to have devices being repaired by individuals, by you know, poor students, as you said, or by independent uh, players from whom they, they don't derive any real commercial value from. Um, I suppose, does it, uh, is it going to change with, uh, I suppose, support from consumer associations with media attention um, and, and with a, a, a ready and regular and enthusiastic drive from those consumer level forces maybe they will sit up and listen particularly from the likes of environmental uh, bodies as well uh, as I say it is a huge impact if we're replacing that they say that an average household in Ireland today has 36 electronic devices uh, in, in an average household. Uh, and, and it's probably a lot more than that if you consider domestic devices and kettles and things like that, but actual devices, uh, iPads, old MP3 players, laptops, uh, Apple Watches, that type of thing. And, and if, if you're replacing that every year or two years, impact on the pocket, impact on the environment. And uh, look, it, it, it's, it's not good, as I said, for anybody else other than those big players. So will it change? Maybe with enough encouragement, because ultimately those big players will respond to people's economic or purchasing activity and behavior. So if we change our behavior and look out for, for example, refurbished equipment, you know I'm a huge protagonist mm. and promoter of using refurbished IT. You can buy better equipment with better support, with better testing, with better features, with more serviceability for a lower price uh, that takes 120 or 140 ki uh, kilos of carbon emission out off the planet because they're not buying a new piece of equipment. Um, you know, it, it, that, that to me makes absolute sense and has no downside. We're trying to convince not just individuals, but schools and have successfully done to some extent and bigger groups You've got mm -hmm. government bodies, by the way, Jess, who we've approached to look at this type of buying mentality. And no, 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 we, we, we have to have new. We have to have new. Yeah, no, you're, you're dead right. But I also think, you know, I sit through the Apple product launches every year and every year they dedicate a significant amount of time to talk about how they're doing more for the environment. And if they were to change the build of their devices or make it more repairable, versus just not including the plug in the box, that would have a massive impact. A huge impact. Look, I, I'm not going to, to sort of um, denigrate any particular brand or make judgment on their environmental policies. However, I think we all know that there's a certain amount of, uh, what's the word, um, uh, ethics flagging, is that what it's called? Something flagging. I forget the word for it, but it's 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 where a, a company, um, you know, will parade a particular activity or will pat themselves on the back 
for a particular policy when when really they're just taking a very soft very above the line very pr focused approach to it rather than uh, a, a genuinely effective um ground up approach to changing the way their product works mm-hmm. and their product develops and lasts and endures and 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 you know is usable long term for the consumer yeah it'll, yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see how this pans out so the bottom line as somebody who works in the repair game and who works in you know refurbing devices to get them back out again even though this could take from some of your business you're saying bring it on Absolutely bring it on. Look, competition, I often say years ago, people would say, what if Dixon's opens next door to you? Or what if we work with Dixon's? Uh, What if when there's something, it's it's very much part of the mantra of the repair, the real repair movement is there's lots of things to repair. There always will be. We don't need to flag ourselves or promote ourselves. We need to offer a, a good, honest, open, reliable, reasonably priced, fairly priced service. And if you do that, you can situate yourself on top of the sugar loaf and still be in demand. So I, I, I've never shirked or shied away from, um, you know, enthusing people to look at these things, to look up YouTube videos. You also mentioned back to the point about trying to repair yourself. If you try to repair yourself, and it doesn't go according to plan. We don't run away from people who've done that or insult them or say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Look what mess you made. No, fair play to you for trying. Bring it in and we'll resolve it. We'll fix it for you. We'll even show you how. We've often done little workshops on Saturday um, with youngsters who want to build their own gaming machine, but they didn't want to quite wrestle. Or maybe the, the parents were paying for it and they didn't want to run the risk of the, the, the 13-year-old kid putting together this 3,000 euro gaming PC that they just bought the components for. So they did it in-house with us. We applaud and promote the understanding of how things work, how they're maintained, looked after, serviced. It's better for all of us. It doesn't nullify our expertise or our ability to support that or even, God forbid, make a profit on that. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually very profitable and it's very, very worthwhile. It's rewarding. I have the as far as I'm concerned, I had the best job in the world. I love it. And I, 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 I love extolling that. And I love talking to people about it. I love pe- solving people's problems. Um, it's very, very rewarding. And there is no, the best part of it is being open about it, sharing that knowledge and, 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 and solving those problems. Colin Baker of Back From The Future, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Coming up next, Alex Cooney of CyberSafe Kids joins me to discuss their online boot camps. Tech Talk, Tech Talk. on News Talk. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com is the email address if you'd like to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Uh, we have spoken to and about CyberSafe Kids quite a bit on this programme over the years. This is an organisation that provides fantastic resources for young people and their parents and guardians all about navigating the online space in a safe way and they are currently running boot camps 
to educate kids about keeping safe online. And I'm delighted to have Alex Cooney from CyberSafe Kids with me now. Alex, you're very welcome. Um, tell us a little bit about how you came to this idea and when you came to this idea. So, yeah, it really was in response to COVID last year in 2020. Um, schools shut, obviously, in March. And up to that point, we've been going into schools and delivering directly to kids in the classroom. And suddenly, obviously, that wasn't possible anymore. But we were keen to still be able to uh, reach out to children and can kind of do the education piece. So we, I suppose, got our thinking caps on and considered how we might approach it. And this is where the boot camp idea came from. Initially, we spread it over like four weeks, um, but we quickly changed that to doing it across one week. So kind of and a theme each day. So it's a 30 minute um, session each day across the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, there's a quiz and it's a sort of roundup of all the things that they've learned and kind of trying to consolidate the learning. Um, so yeah, it was really in response to COVID, knowing children were stuck at home, knowing that um, they were going to be on their devices more. And I think all the stats bear that out um, and really trying to get them engaged in some some fun, interactive learning online. You mentioned there um, that the, the days are themed. So talk us through some of the things that are tackled uh, across the few days. Yeah, sure. So we start off with a kind of what we call a general health checkup because we, we called these, you know, we, we were sort of uh, talking about them as cyber size with cyber safe kids. And um, so the first day is general health check where we look at things like uh, uh, security, privacy settings, passwords, uh, location settings. So it's kind of an overview. Uh, we're expecting the kids to have some familiar familiarity with these things, but it's a reminder of how we can you know do it right, basically. Um, then we move on to day two, where we focus on social media and gaming. So looking in a bit more detail about kind of what we're sharing and how we're sharing it and you know what we should and shouldn't be sharing and so on. Um, and and uh, then day three, we move on to kind of more uh, digital literacy focus. So uh, the, the, the idea of this one is just to question everything. Uh, so we'd look at things like fake news. We'd look at um you know, influencers, uh, we use the example of, of uh, influencers who aren't actually real, who have massive followings and, you know, you know, trying to get kids to really, uh, I suppose, uh, challenge uh, the content they're coming across online, but also, you know, really question the people, uh, you know, uh, is this real? Are they who they say they are? That kind of thing. Um, and then day four is focused on digital footprints and digital reputation. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, kind of really look at how, you know, what, what are we doing when we're posting? What is the the, the, the trace that we're leaving behind? Um, you know, how this might affect us in the future. Um, and then day five is a quiz. So it's kind of trying to, uh, I suppose, test the, the kids knowledge, uh, see how they got on with it, whether they understood everything. It's an opportunity to kind of clarify if, if you know, um, a number of the children, you know, haven't quite got a concept. It's an opportunity to kind of go over it again. Um, so it's kind of a fun way to end the day. Um, and I, uh, we've we've really found that the kids have engaged, really engaged with the topics. We build it around two characters, um, uh, a character called Emma, who's 12, and a, and a character called Owen, who's who's nine, um, so a little bit younger. And we kind of do everything through a lens uh, to, uh, of, of a child, basically. Yeah, it sounds very, very comprehensive. And one thing that I always appreciate about your organisation is that you're all tech fans and you're not saying that kids should not interact with technology at all. It's just giving them the street smarts in the same way that we teach them how to cross the road and so on. Um, what 
what's the kind of age range of kids that are, are participating and you know is there just the assumed knowledge there that you know like they've heard of TikTok and they've heard of Twitter so we're not doing an introduction to technology we're doing a you know what this is and here's how to use it. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, we know from our own stats how engaged children are in, in, uh, with technology. So our focus with these camps is 8 to 13. Um, and it's very much the age range that we work with in the classroom as well. Uh, and, our, and our stats tell us that, you know, let's say 65% of that age group are already signed up to social media. And actually, that's growing. We're looking at the stats from this year um, and seeing increases there. So, you know, we know that they're familiar with, with social media platforms. We know which ones are the most popular. Uh, we know uh, that they're really into gaming um, and that there's quite a clear gender divide there as well. We know what games they're into. So I think all that background information really helps us uh, to engage with the kids and talk about the things that matter and the things that they need to know. Uh, you know, if as you say, we are absolutely pro-technology. We see the, ben- the many benefits that are, that are there. We just want to equip kids um, so that they have the skills and knowledge that they need to, to navigate safely. And obviously, we need parents to be involved in that as well. And we need them to be having these conversations at home. But what we're trying to do is kind of engage with the kids directly in a sort of fun, uh, interactive way. Um, and, you know, we say to parents, do sit in if, you know, and some parents have written to us and said, oh, I was there in the background listening in. It was great to see, you know, them listening to these messages that they don't listen to us on, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a good opportunity to, to get in touch with the families about it. The, the, the modules that you've developed and the way that you've developed them, I know that you were previously up until COVID, were in and out of classrooms, you were interacting with young people the entire time. Have you noticed their thirst for knowledge and information has increased? Because for many of the workshops that I've done with young people, they're incredibly smart and they know right from wrong for the most part, but it's more about taking steps when they see something go awry. So do you see that that hunger for the right way of doing things developing as time goes by? Yeah, and I think it's about grounding it in in the things that they, they know and that they like. Uh, you know, so referencing things that are popular with them uh, and, and absolutely expecting that they'll know a certain amount. So not just talking down to them and sort of saying, don't do this and do do that. It's, it's, it's trying to engage them in the conversation. And that's why it absolutely needs to be interactive. And that's obviously harder when you're online. Like it's, it's much easier when you're in, in, in front of a group of kids and you can you can really engage them. But I feel like our bootcamp actually has been a great way of, of doing that, of, of engaging uh, kids in, in the conversation. And there is definitely a real interest interest there you know they love technology they love talking about technology you know for the most part it's a really positive thing in their lives Um, and I think that probably was enhanced during uh, COVID because you know they weren't able to socialize in the normal ways so they did rely on technology more uh, to meet more of their needs you know whether it was socializing or learning or entertainment or, or whatever but it's it is really important to kind of engage them on the risks as well because they do know a lot, you know, and, and so it's, it's from, as a sort of from the surface point of view, um, you know, they, they sort of seem to understand most of the things. So when you say things like, you know, when you talk about friends or followers that they don't know in real life, you know, they all know they shouldn't talk to people they don't know, but they don't necessarily apply that knowledge, you know. So when you then kind of explore it further and you look at, OK, well, you know, do you have friends or followers uh, on your social media? You know, quite a, quite a high proportion of them do. 
Um, so then it's really kind of exploring what, you know, why that would be. So trying to understand, you know, in what context would they accept a friend request from somebody they don't know? And, you know, what are you sharing with that person? So it's really, I suppose, trying to build that understanding so that they're actually thinking twice, maybe, about um, taking, you know, risks online. Um, so, yeah, I think it scratched the surface. It, you know, yes, they know a lot, but I think we, we need to see more application and support from parents in, in doing that. And, and it's great that you mentioned the, pen, the parents there because obviously we're in summer holiday mode now and the kids are off school. Parents, for the most part, are either still working or still trying to do their day-to-day bits around the house, keeping things running, just staying sane after a pretty intense um, 18 months pretty much now. So for parents who are concerned about their kids on devices over the next number of months, is there any words of wisdom? Is it the usual, you know, have a conversation with your child, find out why they're using technology and how they're using technology and then watch out for any warning signs? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it is the conversations are a key strategy for sure. Like and, and, and I would say, you know, it, it's that engage with them. It's not just the conversations. It's it's keeping an eye on what they're doing. It's it's maybe uh, having a go if they're really into a certain game, play it with them, talk about that game, learn about what they love about it. Um, you know, have good rules in place and stick to them. So if it's no devices at the table or no devices after a certain time in the evening um, or no devices in the bedrooms, because I think, you know, one thing is is clear. If, if a child is in a bedroom on their own with the door shut, you know, the, the parent or carer is really excluded from, from, from that uh, experience. So we would really encourage um, the children to be on devices in family spaces. So you can do that check-in more easily. You know, you don't have to be sitting beside them uh, for the entire time, but you can do the check-ins, uh, which is so important. And being mindful of the balance, both online and offline, you know, so that the kids getting outside, are they getting their exercise, they're getting enough sleep, all, all those things, but also balance online. So, you know, you don't, what you don't want is a child sitting there endlessly scrolling through social media. What you want is that there's a bit of a mix up, you know, they might be doing that for, for, for a certain period of time, but they're also, you know, chatting to friends. They may be checking in with their granny who lives in a different town. They could be doing a, a dance video, you know, like, there's so many different things you can do online. So what we would say, you know, encourage uh, parents to explore the creative side of online and and support their kids in doing that and ensure that there's a good balance and, and minimizing the kind of less positive uh, ways to spend time online. For any parent listening to this who might want to uh, send their child to the boot camp, are, are spaces still available? How exactly can they find out more information? So we're so we're we're running them this week. They were they were actually free, which was great. Uh, with support from um, permanent TSB, we were able to put on uh, boot camps this week for free. So so those are ongoing. Um, and then from 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 now on for the, for the rest of the summer, because we're kind of trying to gauge. I think a lot of people are a bit zoomed out, so we wanted to just gauge what the interest was. Families can book boot camps privately, so you know do get in contact uh, on our uh, our website cybersafekids.ie and then forward slash our talks. And, and then obviously from September, we'll be launching our, our new schools program and hoping to be, um, you know, where we where possible back in schools. But I guess we just have to see how the COVID restrictions go on that. Yeah, that was Alex Cooney from Cyber Safe Kids. I would love to hear from you if your child took part in any of those boot camps. How did they get on? Did they enjoy it? Are they curious to learn more about the online space and navigating it in a mature way? Because 
It is, I've described it quite a lot recently as being sort of like the Wild West, uh, but email techtalk at newstalk.com. Coming up next here on News Talk, John Riley will bring us news from Nintendo. Tech Talk, Tech Talk. on News Talk. Thanks to Think. From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com is the email address if you want to get in touch as ever, or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Uh, last time I was talking to John Riley of TheEffect.net. I was a little bit creverishta because we didn't have news from Nintendo. And lo and behold, they clearly heard I was upset and they have pulled something out of the bag. Uh, John joins me once again. John, what have they announced now? Yeah, so th- this has been knocking around for a couple of months now. And, you know, as I said, the two, we've spoken about it a few times and just out of nowhere, they didn't really tee it up. And I, it's not like something Nintendo would do anyways, but they came out last Tuesday to say, look, here's a brand new Nintendo Switch model with a fancy OLED panel. So, you know, those nice dark black OLED panels. It's a nice seven inch screen and a couple of other tweaks. But uh, yeah, so it's really they're kind of the, the next iteration of the Nintendo Switch console for anyone that's kind of coming from the original. Mm. Um, so it's not what everyone wanted and it's it's also going to be just perfect for what people want. So it's you kind of have to learn, you have to kind of decide as a gamer on how you use your Switch, is it something you're going to benefit from? Because some people leave their Nintendo Switch in the dock and they, don't, they play only on their TV. So you really would be pointless buying this new Switch. But for people that always play in portable mode, that have the Switch up with them wherever they go and want better battery life, this new Switch could be for them. Yeah, so for those who aren't familiar with the Switch, this is, like, you see ads for it all the time on TV, um, on the, the billboard thingy-majigs uh, down the street. Like, I see it everywhere. And it's one of my favourite consoles, probably my favourite console. So you have, as John said there, the option to, to play in handheld mode. Um, You can plug it into the dock. I got the Switch Fit thing last year oh, during yes. lockdown and it's amazing. Like I don't use it yeah. half enough, but it's, <laughs> I find it a really versatile um, console versus the PlayStation and the Xbox, which are fantastic. And obviously the graphics on it are incredible and the power of it's incredible. But for the different options and what you can do with it, I have to say I love the Nintendo. So talk us through, is it literally just the screen that's changed and that's the height of it? Well, that, that, that's the most significant change. It, as I said, the, the original screen was a 6.2-inch LCD panel, and now we've gone up to a 7-inch OLED. Um, unfortunately, the resolution is still sitting around 720p, so not even full HD. And um, people will be like, look, at, at that size, you're kind of fine for battery life to keep the resolution down. But I would have liked to have seen it go up to at least 1080p, but that's my, that's my problem. Um, on the back, then, for people that were kind of used to kind of propping the, the old switch up on a table with the little mm-hmm. it was quite flimsy if you know yourself the, the kickstand that pops out of the back yeah now on the new model it's a lot more robust looking and it's like you know the microsoft surface kind of infinitely tiltable back um stand so you can kind of pivot it to any kind of um angle you want to get to get the best kind of viewing angle on the screen so that looks a lot more um, well implemented and just better for people that are kind of bringing it around the place popping it up on tables for a couple of um for a bit of, for a bit of gameplay they have doubled the storage internally but again it's only 32 has been doubled up to 64 gigabytes which it'll hold obviously twice as many games but still that's not that much storage when you're downloading full titles directly to the device but mm-hmm. there is support for 
a micro SD card slot. So yeah, I, I, the second I got my Switch back in 2017, I bought like a, a 128 gig SD card and popped it straight in there. So I could I could download all the games I wanted. And finally, I guess they've upgraded the speakers. We don't know exactly how much by or what kind of, if they are going to be that much more impressive. And they have built a LAN cable support. or kind of, So you basically can hardwire the new dock directly into your, your home internet so you can get the best kind of internet speeds on the console then if you're playing online. Okay, well, that all does sound good. And I do like the idea or the, uh, the ability to hardwire it in. That does sound positive. Um, but is there anything missing off it? Obvious, obviously, like there was a lot of hype about getting the pro model and we thought this was going to be dramatic. That didn't happen. So overall, these small little tweaks, how is it going down with the, the Switch community and, and what do you make of it? Do you feel a little bit flat by it? Yeah, I like people were there was such a hype around it being like a, a significant processing upgrade in terms of it being able to somewhat compete with the with the new gen consoles or the current you know the new xboxes the new playstations to a certain level that you get maybe even 4k graphics off some of the titles if it, once you had the console in the docked mode that there was going to be a new chip from nvidia all this kind of rumors were knocking around so definitely you know people were a bit deflated that nintendo went to the effort of doing a half step um mm. in terms of an upgrade so yeah, because, you know, I saw a good kind of point be made online that we shouldn't be surprised. This is the company that brought out six different Nintendo 3DSs or remember those yeah. the, the pre, six different ones there was like the Nintendo 3DS, Nintendo 2DS XL, Nintendo 3 like there was six. So this could be what, what I just said, a stepping stone or a half step to what could be next year's actual Switch Pro because by March 2022, we're going to have the, the Switch will be five years old. And, you know, we, I know we got the Switch Lite, which came out a couple of years ago, which was basically an, a, a handheld only version of the Switch. Then they kind of just upgraded the Switch, the, the base unit with a better battery. And now we've got obviously got this OLED model, which has even a slightly better battery again, thanks to the OLED display. So look, these are good improvements. And, you know, people that are coming out of um, no experience with a Switch and they pick up this new OLED model will definitely be, you know, more than happy with what they're getting. Um, unfortunately, one of the big problems that people are giving out about, though, that Nintendo seem to cut too many corners when it comes to Bluetooth support. So you can't actually pair your Bluetooth headphones to this new console yet, which oh. is a bit of a, a cry in shame in 2021 that, you, that they still haven't support for Bluetooth uh, wireless headsets. Yeah, that's really annoying. Um, bit, yeah. If, like as you mentioned there, not everybody will have had a Switch. If you were going to get one, would you just go for the original and then hold out to see if a Pro comes or would you bother... Like, are the little tweaks that have been made to this one worth buying now or should we hold out and wait to see if the Pro comes early next year? I think if you're going to be picking up a Switch brand new, I would recommend this one purely for the battery. Like, and if you think you're going to be playing it in more in portable mode because of the battery improvements now compared to the older model, which has actually already been upgraded since the original model, but still the battery seems to be jumping up even more in terms of battery life. That, you know, an OLED display is always going to look a lot nicer to, to look at than an LCD of the older device. So, and as I said, the kickstand, the better speakers, that's, yeah, just for, it's 365 euro when it launches later this year in October. That yeah, there's no point, because then you're going to have to fork out either way you might as well just get the benefit of this of the newer model because the older one is only it's, it's only a couple of hundred, it's about I think 40 50 euro more expensive than the original um 
the original switch. So you might as well just put that extra bit of money in to have for quality of life use. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, very briefly on Thursday night at 10 o'clock Irish time, uh, PlayStation's uh, State of Play event was held. What did we get from that? Yeah, so this was a bit of, uh, slightly lacklustre, but still uh, informative uh, kind of video showcase half an hour long. And the main kind of star of the show was a new game coming to the PS5 uh it's coming this September. It's called Deathloop, and it's made by a studio called Arcane Studios. And it's it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you know Edge of Tomorrow, the, the movie with Tom Cruise, where yeah. he keeps dying, and he has to keep coming back to life. And it's basically, you're, you're living this loop that every time you die in the game, you have to start again, and you have to learn about what your enemies are doing. It's it's, it's quirky looking. It's, set, it's, got, it's got this 1960s vibe to it. Some really kind of interesting dialogue, really nice stylistic visuals. Um, you know, there's, a, there's definitely going to be a following for it, but ironically, the studio that made it was acquired by Xbox uh, in, in the meantime. So basically PlayStation were, were promoting an Xbox studio game last night. So the, the gaming community had a bit of fun poking fun at that um, that reveal, but it'll be exclusive to the PS5 for a whole year from September this year till September next year. And then we can expect it to probably arrive on, on Xbox Game Pass. But uh, yeah, there was a couple of other titles then um, from from throughout the event, but a lot not not as not as big and as, as fancy as Deathloop. So we are we, we do now have a solid list of games because recently on Tech Talk, and if you missed uh, that show, you can listen back on the new stock app Power by Go Loud. But the last time we were talking, John, we were running through some of the titles that are coming for the consoles over the next few months, and it looks like there are some good titles on the horizon. So if you did manage to get your hands on the latest PlayStation or the latest Xbox, finally you'll have some exciting titles to to get to play. Yeah, exactly. We're coming up to the one year anniversary of both of the new consoles launching here in Ireland. And, you know, people are kind of going, oh, God, Xbox, what are you doing? You have nothing to, to promote the console for. Uh, whereas in, uh, we spoke recently about E3, the big gaming event in, in the US, uh, or basically it was virtual. And they were showing off some of their big heavy hitters, like we said, Forza Horizon 5, one of our favorites. Halo is finally coming this Christmas. And now PlayStation have come out kind of, you know, with, this, with last night's show and a couple of previous events showcasing some of their first party titles that both studios are going right we're in July let's start pulling out all the stops and showing people what they can play on their consoles come basically the one year anniversary Mm -hmm. so yeah thankfully things are looking better for gamers final question is there any update on supply of those new consoles it's same as I, I, you know, I, unfortunately, I see, play, you know, the likes of GameStop and Smiths coming out saying, "Hey guys, heads up, we're going to have a, a limited number of consoles in the next coming, you know, days. Be sure to keep an eye on our social channels." Um, I think it's still a global issue. You know, this uh, significant uh, delay issues because of semi semiconductor shortages. So not only in gaming or the consoles, but across the, the technology industry, just. You know, the smart cars that can't be made because they're missing components. So it's a big, big issue for the industry, not just gaming uh, or for the industry. Um, so, no, unfortunately, not no, no good news to share just yet. Mm, it's definitely one to watch. As ever, if you do have any gaming questions or if there's a title you would like uh, to hear a review of, and it can be a classic game as well. You can email techtalk at newstalk.com and we will get on it. But if you want to hear a full rundown of John's thoughts of Nintendo and indeed uh, the PlayStation State of Play, you can visit theeffect.net. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. John Fardy's up next here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. On News Talk. Thanks to Think.
From digital signage to audiovisual solutions, we've thought of everything. Visit thinkpm.ie.